Welcome to On Publishing from the Binary Agency. This is Alex Field. And this is Ingrid Beck. Every week, we talk to professionals from the world of publishing. Our goal is to educate, inspire, encourage, and inform. Let's get started. On today's episode of On Publishing, we speak with Heather Dixon Adams, the founder and CEO of Choice Media and Communications. Choice is a boutique media and communications business dedicated to providing clients in the entertainment and lifestyle spaces, quality public relations, publicity, branding, and social media help. They're really well known as publicists, and they work a lot with authors and books uh, and, and basically helping them get on TV, radio, podcast, and in-print publications um, all over the world. Uh, Heather is a mom with two active young boys. She's, of course, a self-proclaimed pop culture junkie, as you have to be if you're a publicist. You have to keep track of what's going on in the magazines and TV shows and things happening all over. Um, I think for those of you who are wondering, how do I promote my book? This will be a helpful interview. And just so you can go check this out now, you can find more about Heather and Choice Media and Communications at choicepublicity.com. This was such a valuable interview, I thought, especially for authors who have questions about building a platform. Um, that's a word that's thrown around a lot in publishing circles. And there's a lot of confusion um, and also misinformation, I think, about what that entails and and how big your platform really has to be. So Heather shared just her insights as a publicist, as someone who's very entrenched in um, the media world. Like, what does it really take to build a name for yourself and to get your book out there effectively. Yeah, we talk a lot, you know, amongst ourselves and with the authors we serve and on this podcast about um, building up an audience before you write and publish a book or, or after, you know, during that process somewhere. And, and Heather's someone who's really good at that. And, and she talked about that. And we asked her, you know, what are some of the hot trends that are happening right now in this area? What are you seeing that's changing? And obviously podcasts are a big, big part of how people are consuming content and information now. So that was something we talked about. But then it got super practical, too. She shared about, all right, here are some tips when you're getting ready to, to step onto a TV set and do an interview. One of the things I thought that was unique about Heather is that she really emphasized how important it is that the content is good, that if you're an author thinking about developing your platform um, or promoting your book, it's really important for for you to think about writing the best content you can. And even, you know, in working with the promotional teams um, that she does, she she feels like the content has to be really solid and really good in order to secure the media um, for it. That's refreshing to hear. And I also think, um, you know, this is this is a topic that some authors may resist a, a little bit. Like, I, I don't want to market or do publicity or do interviews. And mm -hmm. I think she she broke it down into some very simple, practical steps, uh, as, you know, made it simple, but also, you know, just accentuated how important this is. I mean, there are so many people out there trying to get attention for so many different products and businesses mm -hmm. um, in order to discover your book. You know, it's important to get out there and share about it. This is really good, helpful information. 
So if you're a, a writer or even a published author and you're um, looking for helpful advice, we hope you really enjoy this episode. Also, you know, we have a lot of resources on our website, thebinderyagency.com. Um, we have ebooks there as well as articles um, tackling different aspects of publishing and, and writing. So we hope you'll check that out. Um, and finally, if you enjoy this episode or have listened to others, please subscribe and review on your preferred platform. We'd be really grateful. So enjoy the episode. Thank you, Heather Adams, for joining us today. We're, we're super excited to talk to you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your business, Choice Media and Communications, um, and maybe what you guys do there? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you guys so much for having me. It's a real honor to be in front of your audience and the opportunity to talk about publishing and specifically book publicity is a real passion of mine. So I'm excited to share whatever I can with your with your people today. But yeah, let me tell you a little bit about Choice. Um, we are a boutique entertainment and lifestyle firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and there are really three reasons that people come to Choice. One is they are looking for clarity. You know, they've got 10 oars in the water and they don't know which oar to paddle first. Um, you know, they're a speaker, they um, write books, they run a business, they have a podcast, whatever it is that they're doing, all the things. And they don't know how to tell their story in a clear, concise, and compelling way. And they're looking for the roadmap for that from a communication standpoint. So that's the clarity reason. Um, the second reason people come to us is for exposure. And for us, that truly means media relations. They want to be on the Today Show. They want to be in Time Magazine. You know, they are, are trying to figure out how to get in front of those gatekeepers that we have access to. And so that's, you know, really that second component. And then the third is they're looking for an audience. You know, maybe they've built their platform to a certain level on their own and they're trying to grow it and they don't know how to find those people. Or maybe they're known to one specific category. And if this group over here knew who they were, it would be a game changer for their business. And they're trying to figure out how to get to that audience that doesn't know that they exist. So those are really the three reasons that people come to us. You know, we serve tastemakers and thought leaders in publishing, nonprofit, lifestyle entertainment, business and faith-based arenas. Um, and the services we provide are media relations, like I mentioned, social media, branding and strategy, and events. Those are really our four pillars of service. That's awesome. And as we all know, and particularly for publishing, as we talk about a lot on this podcast, those things are all so, so critical, especially now uh, in the, the new sort of media world that we live in. But I'm curious, Heather, I always love to hear the stories from the people we talk to about how they got into the business that they're in. So how did you start <laughs> in publicity? Like, did you know early on that you wanted to work in media in some way? Or was it a total accident? How did this happen? Well, I studied um, journalism in college. I went to the University of Georgia, which has one of the top journalism schools in the United States. And um, I did not specifically study PR. I was actually a magazines journalism major uh, because I loved telling stories. And so I always had kind of that, um, that interest and desire to tell stories well. I thought it was going to be through writing articles and layout and design through a magazine. 
But while I was a student at Georgia, I did an internship for our secretary of state in his press office for the um, state of Georgia. So I was working directly for the press secretary to the secretary of state. And what I found in that internship is the juxtaposition of where a publicist stands, which is the in-between of the client and the media. And you are the person who is the mouthpiece for that client. In that regard, it was the secretary of state, right? So I was in government. Um, And it was the relational aspect with the media of telling that story. And so... I thought when I graduated from Georgia, I was going to go into government PR and work my way until I was the press secretary for someone on a national level in D.C. And I started out in Atlanta, um, my hometown where I grew up. I went back to Atlanta after graduation and I worked for a local county government as their public information officer. So I had 13 county departments, everything from the water department to fire and police to the elections <laughs> office wow. that I was responsible for their communications. So that's where I started. And then I married a man from Nashville. And when I moved from Atlanta to Nashville, I was trying to find a job. And I found the most incredible job at Thomas Nelson which at the time was the world's largest Christian book publishing house. Um, It's now a division of HarperCollins. So I became a publicist in specifically Christian book publishing, but we had tons and tons of mainstream books. It was just they were all told from a Christian worldview or the author was a Christian themselves. And that's really where I cut my teeth on major national media and served, I mean, the most incredible voices and authors of our time um, while I was there. And I, I ran the publicity department there for almost 10 years. And then I left there and um, went out on my own. And when I first left, it was just me and I was doing consulting work. And I ended up consulting for Thomas Nelson's number one competitor, which was funny. It's a funny story. And so I was doing very similar work, but I was doing it as a consultant instead of being an in-house employee. Um, and I, I just missed having a team um, that I was building and leading. And so I launched Choice in 2014 with a real desire to develop those that I was leading professionally um, while still doing really good work of telling stories on a national scale. Wow. Well, and I just since you mentioned that, I want to I want to press into that a tiny bit. Um, how long did it take you to, to, to build your team? I mean, I, I, I relate to that in a, in a lot of ways. Um, the idea of, you know, being within a large company or organization and then stepping out on your own. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of fights you have to take on in order to make that journey. Right. Right. Well, and what I had learned at Thomas Nelson and then in my work for Zondervan, um, I was essentially running their department, but just not as a full-time employee. So I was hiring, training, and managing, leading all of these people, specifically in the publicity department at both publishing houses. And what I learned there was, you know, how to really develop leaders and how to pour into them and how to be a good manager. You know, I, I did not get that handbook at Georgia 
on how to manage people well. And so that was something that really came through trial and error. And so when I went out on my own initially, I was for four and a half years by myself. And it was me building Zondervan's team and hiring and training those people and teaching them. But what I realized was, and and why ultimately um, launched Choice was I specifically have a passion and desire for leading women. And I wasn't doing that every single day. I wasn't doing that on a daily basis. And so when I launched Choice, we started out um, with just a couple of people. Um, you know, it was very bare bones, but I had been for four and a half years on my own. So I kind of learned like, okay, what do I need? What can only I do? Where can I have people come in and supplement? So five and a half years into choice, we're now growing and we're continuing to grow. I'm getting ready to hire a couple more people um, in that hiring process as we speak. So it's continuing to grow, but it's constantly figuring out um, how to have sustained strong growth and not just a, a, you know, a firework that pops and fizzles. That's not what I want. I definitely want to bring on people that we can have long-term, you know, relationship and growth with. So for those who are listening, who maybe are are writers or, or have a dream of getting published someday, you know, what do they need to know about publicity and branding and even social media, your areas of expertise? You know, a lot of people don't even know, Ingrid, what publicity means. Like they don't yeah, understand. They hear, yeah. hey, I need a publicist or somebody told me that I should have a publicist, but they don't even know what a publicist does. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that. So, you know, first I would say, let me just explain a little bit more about what publicity is and then I'll, I'll share, Perfect. Um, yeah. you know, what, what I feel like writers um, need to know. You know, number one, I think publicity is most closely connected to media relations, which is when you're watching the Today Show or Good Morning America or Ellen, or you're reading Southern Living or Men's Health or Time or the New York Times, um, or you're listening to Lewis Howell's podcast or How I Built This or whatever, the guests that they have on those shows and in those magazines and outlets, um, 99% of the time are on there because of a publicist's work. So if you want to be on those outlets and covered in those outlets, then a publicist is who traditionally makes that happen. But publicity is so much more than that. You know, it's the notice or attention that you're receiving, and that's most specifically connected to the attention you're receiving from media. But now, you know, since I've been out of school and been um, practicing and it, it encompasses so much more than that right. uh, because there's so much more than traditional media that are getting you attention and are um, helping to build your platform. And so what I would say that, you know, writers or anyone who really wants to be published, what they need to know about those things is they really need to have some kind of existing platform. Um, that's the first thing that a publisher is going to be asking when they look at your manuscript or when they're considering you is they want to know how many people are in your email database. They don't even care how many followers you have now on social media because you don't Mm -hmm. own that. You You own your email database, but you don't own how many followers you have on Instagram. And so that's really, really critical is having some sort of platform. The only caveat that I would say to that from a publicity standpoint would be someone who is writing a book that is connected to a news 
driven or headline driven story. So let's say that there is somebody who's writing a book about the election this year, and they bring some kind of competence and expertise to the table around one of the candidates or around a particular hot topic around the election this year. Well, then they may get more consideration because of their expertise on that particular trend that is being covered in the media than their existing platform. But they're going to have to have some kind of reason for media to be interested and pay attention. And at this stage, you know, when we're pitching media, if you don't have a significant platform, unless that you're connected to something going on in the news, they're just not going to pay attention to you or really care what you have to say. That's right. You, Heather, you've mentioned the word platform a few times. We use it all the time and it's Mm -hmm. become this, this word that we all use to describe a certain thing. And I know everybody sort of defines platform very differently. So how do you, how do you define it? And we can certainly talk about the nuances of that. There's a whole variety of ways platform happens, but uh, how do you guys define that? Well, I think it's the audience that you are speaking to. So if you run a business and you have clients, those are part of your your business and those clients are part of your platform. If you have an online presence, you have a blog, you have social media accounts, you have a website, um, that is part of your platform. If you are a speaker and you are on the speaking circuit and you're going to events and you're doing panels and keynotes, that is a part of your platform. Um, you know, if you are a writer and you are writing books, that is a part of your platform. So I think it is the content and the audience that you are bringing to the table. I think it's interesting the distinction you made about the part of your platform that you own, such as an email database versus social media. Because I think some of the messaging authors receive is that, you know, they need to be on social media and that's kind of the only place they need to be. But could you talk a little bit more about that distinction? Well, I think first, you know, you need to start with who is already at your table. I think so often um, we are so concerned with growing our platform to where, you know, we have more than 10,000 so we can have the swipe up feature or, you know, we have a hundred thousand followers and, you know, we can get that little blue check mark, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for and you're seeking out and you're not talking to the people who are already paying attention to you, who have already drank the Kool-Aid and who are already sold out to you um, because you're so worried about gaining these other people. And so I think number one, you have to start with who is already at your table. We are finding right now that a lot of big brands that are coming to us wanting to partner with some of our clients are interested in clients who have a smaller, more niche audience that they can get right to the target demo than somebody who has 1.5 million followers um, because they have all kinds of people that they're talking to as opposed to somebody who is specifically talking to working moms of school-aged children who are between 30 and 50. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. But I think that's important is to start with who already is at your table. I I think the second thing is to focus on local first. Um, Everyone gets allured by national opportunities, national um, platforms of speaking, national media, where they're going to get 
more eyeballs. And I think that you have to do local well first. Um, number one, it gives you a huge community of support right in your own backyard. And um, those relationships are really key and instrumental to your growth long-term, having those strong roots. But I think separately, in addition to that local connection, I think it gives you great practice. You know, if you're practicing by interviewing with your local newspaper or a local um, podcaster or influencer in town before you go do something on a national scale, or you're speaking to a local mops group, or you're speaking to a local chamber of commerce before you go speak, you know, to a much larger audience, I think it gives you a lot of good experience to take away. That's really good. That is such good advice. One other thing else I was just going to say too, is at the end of the day, I think it's the product. Um, You really have got to have good content that meets a felt need and is solving a problem. You know, Mm -hmm. so if you're not doing that, then it doesn't matter what your platform looks like or who you're in front of. It's not going to be successful. We used to wear these buttons um, at one of our big book um, trade shows every year that our CEO, Michael Hyatt, who y'all know well, he used to have these buttons made every year for us to wear in the booth that said it's the product, stupid. And (laughs) it's so true because you can put a beautiful book jacket and have the most gorgeous cover and perfect title. But if the content doesn't deliver and is poor writing, it's not going to sell well and you're not going to be successful. I think those elements are really critical um, to success too. That's so good. I mean, we as content people, we we totally are on board with that and, and agree. Like it's all about the book. At the end of the day, if we're out there pitching something and there's nothing good there to pitch, then it's it's probably not worth your time to pitch it. But um, that's a, that's probably a little frustrating, I would imagine, too. For you, uh, there are some books you probably really love and some that are maybe a little more difficult to work on. Um, but I, I would ask you this. I mean, the market, you mentioned this earlier, Heather, the market, the media environment, everything has changed a lot in the mm-hmm. last, well, in the last year, let alone the last five years. What are you seeing that's really, really working? Um, what are people doing well? What's working for your clients? that you work with, whether it's a book or an organization or whatever, but in the publicity and media world, what's, what's happening out there? Well, I think a couple of things, the first of which is podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. Hmm. I mean, you know, you've started a podcast and you're specifically targeting a very um, niche audience with this podcast, right? And you can go Mm -hmm. after them and provide them with really good content that relates exactly to what their needs are and solves a problem for them. We are finding that podcasts right now are having more ROI for our clients than any other format of media, even a national television hit. Oh, Um, that's awesome. We had a client just recently who did a very small podcast and she got a thousand email subscribers within 24 hours after that podcast hit because of that one podcast. So the people who are of the mind that, oh, I need to, you know, only do podcasts that are in the top 50 on iTunes, or in the top 25 in their category on iTunes, are really missing out. Because we are finding that podcasts are having significant impact. You know, the second thing I would say is, 
tying into the news cycle is constantly working for us. So I'll use a client that we have right now that we've been working with for 18 months, and it's a ministry out of Atlanta called Hope Heals. And they have a book that just released called Suffer Strong. And it's a couple, Jay and Catherine Wolf. And when Catherine was 26 years old, she suffered a stroke. Well, when we began working for them 18 months ago, we didn't want to talk about the book yet because the book wasn't coming out for 18 months, right? And so we were trying to raise the visibility of Jay and Catherine, Catherine specifically as the face of this disability and of their ministry, Hope Heals. Not too long after uh, we started working with them, Luke Perry died of a stroke. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was right. all over the news because he is this beloved actor who has spanned, you know, multiple generations. You know, we grew up with him on 90210. Our kids were watching him on Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he was very young when he passed away. And so, you know, it was all over the press. Well, what our team did was we immediately went to work talking about the signs of a stroke and what Catherine had been through. And we had her in everything from people to parents to, I mean, we had all kinds of coverage because we were leveraging what the media was talking about and was in the news. And so it's very much that early bird gets the worm. Like you have to be quick and on top of it and have, you know, still something strong to share. But because we were tied into something that was in the news cycle, you know, we were able to get our our client some really strong coverage because of it. Wow. Can you can you just for a moment go into that? Like, what does that look like for you? So the Luke Perry story happens. He passes away. I mean, it's a tragic thing, but how fast does that move? What does that look like for you and your client? I mean, it's it's within hours, right? (laughs) It's like you are we are immediately going to Catherine and we're saying this has just happened. Here's our idea. Um, We want to pitch you. Can we have two or three talking points? of things that you would say, um, or stats that you can give us connected to this, you know, and then we immediately went out. Well, we have the access to the media to be able to do that quickly. And we know, and media are constantly coming to us on a daily basis saying, Hey, I'm looking for an expert in this, or, Hey, we're doing a story on such and such. Do you have anybody who would be relevant? But you know, when you're working that quickly on something and you're trying to not to be sensational about it too, right? Like we weren't trying to take advantage of Luke Perry's death. That that seems so wrong. But what we were trying to do is we were trying to leverage the fact that the news was talking about strokes because of what had happened to Luke um, to benefit our client and her, and raising her visibility and face of, you know, um, that happening to her. You must be reading media and, and, and content all day Constantly, long, every single day. day. All day long. You have to be a consumer of the media in order to be an effective publicist. If we weren't reading Time Magazine, how well would we pitch Time Magazine? You know, if we don't know what BuzzFeed is talking about and what columns and sections they have on the site, you know, how good are we going to be getting a client on BuzzFeed? You know, we have to be constantly consuming the media. Do you ever find that that gets to become a burden that constant consumption of media and 
trying to stay on top of all of the stories and news? How do you find balance in, in that tension, I guess? Well, we have, or do you? <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. To stay, and you, you can never be all knowing, right? You can never right. know every single thing about every single outlet that are, that's out there. We have mm-hmm. some really good systems in place um, across our team where we divide up responsibilities so that um, everybody has specific outlets or specific niches or topics that they're um, responsible for kind of staying on top of. So somebody might be responsible for parenting while somebody else might be responsible for headlines in the news that morning. But yes, it is exhausting to pay attention to, but we have come through so many years of it. And as more outlets get added and Um, you know, with the advent of social media and everything is instant, you know, gratification and knowledge, you're able to know a lot more things more quickly. Um, And a lot of outlets are more generalized nowadays, uh, particularly websites, you know, where you can go and you can find a whole lot of content in one place, as opposed to having to go to six places to find because you're looking for different categories. Circling back to, you know, you were talking about kind of what trends you're seeing and what's really, really working. Um, Is there anything that you're really advising people to do less of these days um, that really isn't having the impact that it used to? Well, I think gone are the days of national book tours where you go to 20 cities over the course of two weeks and you go into the local bookstore or whatever and sit down and do a signing and then you go to the next city and do a you know I think Mm -hmm. unless you have a major major following and celebrity status um, Mm -hmm. that doesn't work now when Michelle Obama has a book and she's selling it she can do a 20 city tour and then do another one and then do another one and there are thousands of people showing up in every city That's an anomaly, though. That's not the Mm -hmm. vast majority of people who are writing books. But when I entered the book publishing world, you know, 20 years ago, good gosh, um, (laughs) that's what we did with our authors. You know, I took Max Lucado and John Maxwell and Charles Stantlick. I took them to every city and we Mm -hmm. did a book signing in every market. And, you know, and you just don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So you guys do events uh, and work with with authors on events. So what does the event strategy look like for mm-hmm. 2020 and going forward? And I've I've heard this and seen this as well. I mean, book tours are not a common thing anymore. Right. Some some categories of publishing still do them, but uh, it seems so rare now. But what what sorts of events do work? I think you're looking for more experience based events. Um, we're doing one with Jen Hatmaker uh, at the launch of her book in April, and we haven't announced everything that's happening with it yet, but it is very much an experience-based event. You know, it's a girl's night out for you to come with a bunch of your girlfriends, and you're getting a whole lot of things happening other than just Jen signing a book and handing it to you and taking a picture with you, right? And so we are seeing a lot of that. And a lot of um, also bringing in someone of note to either host the event or partner with you on it or do the Q&A with you. But somebody in that specific market or who is known to a bigger audience who can bring, you know, more eyeballs to the table instead of it just being you sitting at a table, you know. 
that is what we're seeing on our end as well. A lot of events have a variety of different things happening or there's music or it's some experiential kind of thing. Um, I guess I want to pivot now to some practical tips for aspiring authors, whether they're publishing traditionally, self-publishing, whatever it might be. How do you coach someone as they're they're getting ready to go on TV? And, and you said earlier, I think this is amazing advice, like do your local stuff first, do the, the local YMCA or do the local chamber of commerce or whatever it was, and kind of hone your chops as far as speaking and doing interviews, but other sorts of advice and practical tips do you give the people you work with? Well, I'd love to back up a step before the book is even out when you are writing the actual book. I would love for you to think through what is going to get media's attention when the book hits shelves. So do you have new statistics or new information or new research that's never been revealed before that you're releasing for the first time in this book, that that will be of interest. Or is this really topically driven? You know, let's say it's a evergreen subject, you know, that it doesn't matter when it comes out, like parenting. Parenting is an evergreen subject, right? And people write on parenting all of the time. But what is it that's new and innovative and fresh because there's a million parenting books. So when you are actually writing the book, you've got to think about, okay, what is it that I can make sure is incorporated into this manuscript that I am going to be able to take to get interest from the media? It could be who you are writing about, or it could be, let's say you write novels and you're writing fiction. It could be an area, uh, the location of where the story is taking place. You know, it just depends on, you know, what kind of book you are specifically writing. But during that writing phase, I really love to encourage authors to think about, okay, what can you plug in that are little nuggets that we can pull out when this is going to be available to the public? So that's my first recommendation. My second is when you are um, about six months from the release of the book hitting shelves is when you have to start publicity efforts. So it's much, much further in advance than a lot of people think. Wow. Um, yeah. A lot and, of people talk about launch day, right? So that's, right. that's actually good. So talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you would think it's 2020, you would think that we could turn news on a dime and in certain situations we can but for books in particular, because there are so many and because media are inundated with them and there's all these categories and all these topics and all these authors that are constantly bombarding them, a lot of media work four to six months in advance of when the book is on shelves. So if you want to be in Real Simple Magazine, um, when the book is hitting the shelf, let's say your book is hitting the shelf in September. Well, you want to be in the October issue of Real Simple because that hits shelves the middle of September. And that means that that has to be pitched six months prior to that. Um, you can't pitch them in August and expect to be in the October issue. So, um, you know, people have got to proactively think about the timeline and manage their expectations accordingly. If you are rushing a book to press because you are trying to meet a demand that is in the marketplace or something that is in the news or, you know, whatever, 
then all you're going to be able to focus on is short lead media. And that can go anywhere from four weeks to, you know, the pub date for when it happens. You know, there are some media outlets that can turn around coverage very quickly if there is, you know, a reason for them to do that and if the content demands it. But you're going to miss out on your long lead media. Your short lead media are things like websites, radio, local press, um, some national television that are more news driven, but all of your like daytime talk and all that stuff, they work very far in advance. You can't turn that quickly, even though they have a television show every single day. So yeah, so you have to think proactively and think long-term. Publicity is definitely a marathon. It is not a sprint. So you are making deposits a long time before you can cash in. Um, And you have to look at it that way. You know, you can't think that you're immediately going to be able to secure the biggest and best stuff. So is your um, advising authors, you know, preparing them for for podcasts or for TV interviews? What are some uh, tips that you give them about how to handle that, how to be prepared to give a good interview? Well, I think the biggest piece of advice I always give them is to boil their book down to three talking points. If you only say three things in every single interview, what are the three things you have to say? Um, And you've got to be super, super concise. Television segments are four to six minutes. Podcasts are a little bit longer traditionally, They could be 30 minutes to an hour, um, depending on if you're the only guest or if you're one of a few guests, if they have guests on their show. Um, Some radio or, you know, can go up to like 15 or 20 minutes in print. You can talk longer because they're going to edit and, you know, you can respond and they can um, boil it down. But when you're doing live interviews or, or live to tape interviews, you've got to be concise. And so coming up with what the three most critical talking points to your book are is really, really important. Um, And you've got to practice. It sounds crazy. You're like, I'm by myself and I'm sitting in my house and I'm reading. But with this day and age, I mean, there's no reason why you can't tape yourself on audio or do a video of yourself answering questions, have someone to practice with you. Because you don't want the first time that you're practicing how to sit up straight in a chair and how to, you don't want that to be when you're on camera, right? Or the first time that you're trying to make sure that you answer quickly be when you're in a live interview setting. And so you definitely need to practice um, a tremendous amount. You know, some of the other things that we uh, teach our clients are about you know, what to wear and what not to wear and how to be a good guest. You are not the winner here. The host is the champion. Your job is to make that host look incredible. You are not to be the star. If (laughs) you make the host look incredible, then you are going to win and they are going to want you to be back. The way you do that is you deliver well for their audience. So, When you are preparing those three talking points, you are thinking about the end person reading that magazine, watching that TV show, listening to that podcast. Think about what you're delivering for them that meets their need. 
But when you are the guest, you are supposed to make that host look like a million dollars. And when you do that, you really win well. I think that's so counter to what uh, at least I would expect. And I know a lot of authors probably think like I'm going on to be the star, to be, you know, to put the focus on me. That is such good advice to help the the host, whoever's interviewing you, like win. What, what is it that they're trying to get out of this? And then the, ultimately the, the reader or the listener or the watcher, what are they trying to get out of this and how can you help them? That's great. That's yeah. So good. Well, and what just to take that one step further you need to be familiar with that outlet before you do an interview with them. So if you are interviewing with the food editor at your local um, newspaper because you've written a new cookbook, then you need to read, you know, what has she written recently? What kind of columns does she have? What does she cover? What does she like? With this day and age of social media and so much online, you can take an hour to prep beforehand and find all kinds of information out about that contact before you spend time with them. And so being a consumer of that media outlet before you are a guest of that media outlet is really going to set you up for success. This is such good information for any of you listening who, who you know, you're desiring to, to put your book out there and share about it with the world. Uh, publicity is still one of the best ways we find uh, that people get their information about new books. And, and I still pick up books all the time when I'm reading uh, or listening or watching something. So uh, that's such good advice. Heather, because this is on publishing and we talk about books uh, really incessantly, I mean, we just we're sort of obsessed with <laughs> with books. Uh, tell us a little bit about the books that you love to read. What's something that inspires you? One of the lines we talk about occasionally is uh, how one book can change everything, whether that's personally, professionally, or otherwise. Uh, what kind of books do you like? And then what's a book that, that kind of changed things for you in some way? Oh, I love that question. I love talking about books because I've had my nose in a book <laughs> since I was a little girl. You know, for me, I, I read for a living, right? Because I have a tremendous amount of clients who are authors and we're working on book campaigns. And so I read a lot of books uh, for work. Most of those are nonfiction books that are um, bettering you in some way from a self-improvement standpoint. It might be a memoir where you're learning from the author something, a hardship that they've been through and how they overcame. Um, or it might be a, a professional development book that you're reading to better your leadership or, you know, whatever it is. So I read a tremendous amount of those kind of books for work and love nonfiction. I, I specifically love memoirs. I am a huge fan of sports memoirs, and we have worked on a lot of incredible ones. I think there are so many great stories of overcoming from sports memoirs. And I just love the human interest side of that. I read for pleasure, like when I go to the beach, or I'm on vacation, or, you know, whatever, I read a lot of fiction. And I love, oh, gosh, I love any kind of mystery. Um, yes. Where I'm solving a crime, or I'm, you know, I'm going back to my Nancy Drew days, where yep. I was reading Nancy Drew and trying to figure out, you know, who done it. Um, I love that, and then I, um, I love Southern fiction. I'm, you know, 
a Southern woman um, based in the South, born and raised in the South and proud of that. And so I love uh, a lot of Southern fiction. But some books, I've launched more than 100 New York Times bestsellers in my career and had, you know, the privilege of working on some of the most incredible book projects and campaigns. But there is this one book of Max Lucado's that I worked on 100 years ago, and it's called Cure for the Common Life. And the book cover had two golden retrievers laying on a couch. And it was like the best book cover. It looked nothing. It was such a big departure for Max. Um, And it talked about and what Max really shared was how to live out the calling that God had for your has for your life and live in what Max called your sweet spot. And that is, you know, um, how I define that intersection of success and satisfaction. And I remember when I read that manuscript and we spent a lot of time um, with the Lucado team really figuring out how, you know, we were going to market and promote this book. And um, we did a lot of internal conversations about us living in our sweet spot and what that looks like and how we could bring that to life for the end reader. And that book absolutely changed the trajectory of my career because I remember really and truly understanding what I was put on this earth to do because of that book and because of the work with Max. And also he's as good as they come. Like I would work my fingers to the bone for that man because he is just the most incredible human being. Um, And then, you know, I have worked with Jen Hatmaker for the last five years we're working on our third book with her. And Jen has changed me as a human being from a faith standpoint. Before I worked with Jen, I just really believed things because I had always believed them since I was a young girl and had been taught those things. And she really challenged me to question my own faith and figure out what it was I believed, not what somebody else had told me to believe. Mm, Um, And so my work with her has evolved um, over that period of time. And one thing that I'm really proud of with our work with her specifically is, you know, Jen was really only known to a Christian audience and to a Christian consumer when we started working with her. And now she is very much a mainstream voice and, you know, Time and the New York Times and the Atlantic and Red Book and the Today Show all know who she is and have her and cover her because of our work with her. And I'm really proud of that because it shows the growth that she's had um, and the audience she's been introduced to because of um, our partnership. So thank you, Heather. This has been wonderful. You've shared so much good information, and I think um, it'll be really valuable for our listeners. To wrap things up, if, if someone wants to find you and your team, if they want to work with Choice, how can they, how can they find you guys? How can they connect with you? Thank you for asking that. Um, choicepublicity.com is our website, and we have a fun blog there too. Um, and Choice Publicity will, is all of our handles. So our favorite is Instagram. We would love to connect with you there, and we have a lot of fun um, in that platform specifically. And then my personal is Heather Dixon Adams, and it's D-I-X-O-N. So Heather Dixon Adams is my personal, but we would love to be connected with you. 
Um, we love working with authors. We're really good at working on book campaigns um, and have great relationships in that space and just a lot of history there. Um, so we're proud of the work that we do um, and would love to be considered if it made sense for um, anyone listening. But certainly we do provide a tremendous amount of content on our blog that might be beneficial to you, even if you don't need a full-time publicity agency working with you. If you just need some tips and tricks and help to do on your own, we provide a lot of good um, content in our space there. Awesome. Well, thanks awesome. so much. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you, Have guys. a great rest it's of your day. It's such a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you all for having <laughs> yeah. me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's episode of On Publishing. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and post a review. This episode was edited by Joey Howell and the music was provided by Not The King. And remember, until next time, one book can change everything.